Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 119 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. 119, Bailey. 119? Did that go up? Did that go up? Did that go back up? No, it was 120 last time, and now it's 119. Oh, okay. How dare you? Okay. Oh. I'm just waiting well. for you to slyly slip in. And we've got 153 unread books on my shelf. It could happen, honestly. With no context. <laughs> um, I'm about to go on vacation. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do on vacation is to go to bookstores. So you never know. I could come back with okay. a lot. Where are you going on vacation, Bailey? We are going to Telluride, Colorado for the Telluride Film Festival. Ooh la la. Which we've been going, I've been going to for the past what is it, 16 years? A long time. I'm old. Whoa. I'm old. Whoa. The bookstore there is one of my favorite places in the world. And I like to sit there and read and drink coffee. And I feel like I have to buy books while I'm there to support this habit of just sitting and reading. <laughs> but also, you know, I have a problem in general. One life hack is have a child and then you can just buy a book for the child if you feel like you need to oh. get something but you don't want to add to your own shame. And to be clear, mm-hmm. all pages out there, that is a cheaper option than buying a book, having a child and all the <laughs> attached costs. <laughs> yes, life hack. And the stresses, that is the life hack. <laughs> and you get so much more reading done with all your free time, I hear. Well, you, you read a lot of kids' books. Maggie loves books. We've been reading... The Babysitter's Club. She loves it. Babysitter Club's oh, comics. Wow. You're right. Babysitter, Little Sister comics. Really into it. But it's it's pretty problematic. It, it's a weird moment where you are, it's like you're indoctrinating your child into the patriarchy. Like, let me explain. <laughs> so in these books, like they have the kid in the girl's class that makes fun of her because he likes her, you know? Oh, yeah. And so Classic. You're, you're reading it and I'm just, and she's like, absorbing it and i'm like this is not good i want to be like uh you know it's not good if (laughs) if you're with somebody that's mean to you and she's like "Uh uh-huh anyway you know so it's a bit weird you have to like redact the giant parts of the comic book so it's just like this comic book with big black boxes all over it where the mean boy is she's very curious about him she keeps pointing to him and saying what's his name and i say ricky and she's like what's his name (laughs) And she says, I can fix him. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, I know somebody else who just went on vacation. Andrew, tell us about your dream of a vacation. How many books did you read? Oh, Oh, I mean, it was great. As as laid out in the previous episode, it, it, you know, went according to plan. Which was no plan. (laughs) Yeah, no plan, all fun. No plan, all flan. That's what I say. (laughs) Um, <laughs> though I did have my first old man injury, I'm still in Ooh. my early 30s, I'd like to think, but I uh, did hurt a muscle in my side playing pickleball that took me out <laughs> for like two <laughs> days, three days of like normal ability to function. I like was like, I can't lift that box because I pulled a muscle in my side. I was reading something that like insurance claims for pickleball have gone up through the roof because a lot of older it's people. It's not surprising. It's a. Yeah. yeah, older people play it. It's like kind of explosive movement. A lot of like quick turns and stopping. I'm not surprised people are hurting themselves. Yeah, that's hardcore. Is it though? It's just stand up ping pong, but people are really hurting themselves for it. <laughs> um, but how many books did you read? Yeah, uh, I actually only got through a couple books. I, I did less than I thought, but it was still really relaxing. I finished the. Wow, you really you really pulled your side doing that pickleball. Huh? I know, <laughs> Couldn't right? Turn a page. <laughs> It was really too hard. No, I finished the the first book in the Drift series, had a good time, started the second one. 
Um, nice. And then finished finished Wild Seed, which I also really, really liked, which we've covered on the podcast before. So I didn't like get that deep into my new books, but I knocked off a few that I had left. And who knows? By the next time you hear me, I might be on like the seventh of these dress books. They're very easy. Nice. What about that child that was staying with you? <laughs> Bailey, there has to be a less creepy way to ask that <laughs> question. When you say the child who was staying with me, you mean the 27-year-old... <laughs> Jillian's 27-year-old cousin? <laughs> well, you, you phrased it as, oh, this Jillian's little cousin staying with us. And he's reading Whoa, all these yeah, books. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did assume that it was a like a 13-year-old. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. He is the youngest cousin, but he's 27. <laughs> he was really dedicated to the craft of the vacation and got through. I be- He definitely finished two Brandon Sanderson books and was pretty far into a third one in the um, Mistborn series Ooh. for all you uh. mist heads out there. And this is within like what? three days. Yeah, this was a, a, a three and a half day vacation. This whole time I was picturing a precocious 12 year old like sitting there and just yeah, me too. going through books. Oh, well. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Well, anywho, does anyone have any shame? <laughs> um, no, I'm shame free in not in 2023, but for this short <laughs> period of 2023. Yeah. And if I ask that question, that always means that I'm shame free. <laughs> Because yeah. I will never ask it if I'm trying to hide my shame. <laughs> um, I don't have any shame. But like I said, I'm preparing to have some. I did read This Is How We Lose the Time. This Is How You Lose the Time War. That one that you read, Andrew. Yeah. I didn't lose the time war. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I I like to read audiobooks at like 1.5 to 1.7 speed. So this book was like oh, wow. three hours long. <laughs> it was very quick. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I, I completely agree with your take Andrew but all this to say is I read books I didn't acquire more so Ah. you're welcome so you're a good little boy (laughs) (laughs) I would say Bailey that I think you read physical books at 1.5 to 1.7 speed (laughs) compared to the average person so you can you know you got that as well do I I I, I honestly don't know like am I a fast reader you're a quick reader come on I think you're a more determined reader interesting Uh, yeah I I I think think that's (laughs) what it is (laughs) I think no 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 because like you're faster than I am if I I need to like pedal to the metal like read books really fast I can but I also will burn out a lot quicker then but I've seen Bailey like you know do two to three hour like reading chunks which is Mm. usually more than that's normal right yeah (laughs) All right, we'll put my clever little joke in the trash then won't we Dylan you could have just breezed over it how dare you miscategorize my wife I also, because the speed thing, I, I just read, listened to uh, The Wager, and that is the biggest difference between listening to 1.5. Have you ever listened to something at 1.5? And it's like, I wonder what this sounds like normally. It's like, this is so slow. Oh, yeah. yeah, some books you have to speed up. Yeah, sometimes I go back to one and I'm like, are they doing this on part? Like, are, is this actually slowed down from how the narrator narrated it? It's so slow. It feels like uh, you're into like the X-Men movie when like... Uh, Quicksilver's running around and everything's really slow-mo. <laughs> I actually know the answer to this. Obviously, no other podcasts about reading exist. Like, we all know this, right? It's just the two yep. read list podcasts. Um, but le- I think no other podcasts exist at all. Right. But continue. Um, but let's say that I were to listen to another thing that was a cast pod that was about reading, and it's called Reading Glasses. Gross. And on this cast pod, not podcast, one of the hosts, Mallory O'Mara, is an author, and she was just talking in the last episode, not that I listened to it, about how when she (laughs) narrates her books, they tell her to go really slowly. 
And she's like, oh. it feels very unnatural, but that's how they want it to be. So there you go. Interesting. It was just funny listening to the wager on how the intensity, it's like either we're about to survive this terrible storm and we have to make it out or we're about to survive this terrible storm and we have to make it out. <laughs> yeah. Just for the record, I read like 50 pages an hour. Is that fast? I don't know. I think that's I no fast idea. because I think if I read for an hour, I would read 50 pages, but I never have the attention span to read for the hour. And I think that's sort of <laughs> yeah, what Dylan true. was getting at as uh, well. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree with Dylan that maybe there are faster actual readers than you, but no one, no one is as determined. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want a life hack, um, if I'm reading a book I don't want to read, I follow the Pomodoro method which is mm. read for 25 minutes, take a five-minute break. And eat a lot of tomatoes. And eat a lot of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Just like over and over and over again. But, you know, Lycopene. I'm determined. Oh, what? Uh, there's a bird in my room. Uh, <laughs> Toby, maybe you know something about this. Did you read a book this week? <laughs> I did release a bird into your room. I read Falconer by John Cheever. Caca. 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 Bird. It's not the sound that a falcon makes, but that's okay. <laughs> they don't just lightly whisper the word bird. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Bird. All right, here's your log line. Falconer by John Cheever tells the story of Ezekiel Farragut, a university professor and heroin addict, while he serves his term in Falconer State Prison for the crime of murdering his brother. Wait, so there are no birds. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> There was a, Falconer is the prison. There was, a, there was a lot of weird names thrown at us just then. I would have, like, if you, if you, like, were like, Bailey, you what have bird to says say, Cheever? you have to say what this book is about. I'd be like, a guy that raises falcons, duh. Yeah, yeah well. I think there's no world where I would have guessed that that was the plot of this book. And I researched <laughs> John Cheever and, like, know some of the themes that he writes about. <laughs> More like John Deceiver. Very good, Dylan. Very good. All right. So we'll jump into it. I've never read any Cheever, um, and I know that he is better known generally for his short stories and for his longstanding relationship in particular with The New Yorker. But this is a novel of his, obviously. I like a good New Yorker story every once in a while. But yeah, you know, that's kind of was my impression of what I was going to get into with this book is like, okay, it's going to be literary. There might be a touch of humor to it. It'll be social commentary uh, of the time. That was my idea. There is almost no plot to this book, um, which will let you know that it is very, very literary. Farragut basically spends time in his cell. Um, His wife comes to visit him and say mean things to him. Uh, He's approached by one or another of his fellow prisoners so that they can tell him their life stories. That's pretty much it. That's the whole book. But then... Exciting. uh, Yeah, I like like to imagine his wife visits and he's just like, you smell awful. See you in three weeks. Bye. Pretty much. But then he escapes through a poster via Rita Hayworth and... (laughs) Spoilers, Dylan. Spoilers. (laughs) Towards the end of the book, there is a hint of a plot. There's a riot. There's a hostage situation inside the prison. But kind of intentionally, the action happens in like another wing of the prison (laughs) so that Farragut and all of the prisoners that he's like that he knows they just kind of hang out and try and find out what's happening on like the interesting side of the prison oh thank god that that's happening far away anyway (laughs) tell me more about where you were born (laughs) pretty much that's also a good or just the new black later season of like their budgets being cut i was gonna say a really low budget prison film (laughs) oh no all this is happening off screen So that, you know, to be honest, that was not shocking to me. I was like, okay, I kind of expected something like this. There is no surprises yet. 
So I'll jump into my orcs. Cheever can be really hard to nail down. There are sentences of his, you know, speaking of the prose, there are sentences that are beautiful and insightful. Um, and then there are sentences that just sort of sound like word salad, where you like, even if you reread them several times, it's hard to tell what he's saying or even if like even if I was smarter than I am if I could dig some meaning out of them so I don't know if that's an intentional stylistic turn or if it's just a mistake but it did mean that the writing was super choppy for me kind of really excellent to really unintelligible kind of back and forth so that was a bit tough to get through Farragut um who is pretty straightforwardly a stand-in for Cheever. Like many of the men in this book and most of the male literary protagonists of this era is unbelievably horny. He is just so focused on sex. There are so many penises described in this book. It's just a parade of them. Uh, it's just the book, I think, is trying to talk about life in a broad way, but I'd say 60 to 70 percent of it is like about sex. And uh, after a while, you're like, OK, is there another aspect of life that you'd like to examine, Cheever? And he says, no, and goes back to the genitals. <laughs> they say like 69 percent of the book. <laughs> I think I speak for everyone. When I say nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those two things, you know, held me back at times from the book. But I did have a fair amount of elves, which I'll go into now. Lothlorien. <laughs> so by far the most interesting aspect of Farragut's personality and the book, to me, is his very straightforward bisexuality, um, which kind of comes out of left field, at least for me who wasn't expecting it in this book. In the beginning of the book, you know, obviously he doesn't start page one and be like, I was bisexual. Um, but yes. it starts out and it almost... <laughs> Isn't that how Moby Dick starts? <laughs> call... It should. Yeah, call me bisexual. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it starts out and it, and it feels almost like a very typical 70s male protagonist where he is is kind of obsessed with his wife and how hot she is. He is very sexually interested in her, almost kind of idolizing her, and it definitely damages their relationship in a way. And then um, he basically enthusiastically participates in many affairs with other men in the prison and eventually kind of falls in love with one, um, a prisoner named Jody. And their affair is kind of emotional and you know, hurtful, but also touching and interesting. And that was just a, a really interesting left turn that I did not see coming, especially because of the presentation of the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about the relationships that Farragut has with his wife and other men in the prison is how honestly they are portrayed. Farragut lusts heavily after his wife um, and at the same time idolizes her and kind of puts her up on this pedestal and drains her of her humanity in a pretty typically misogynistic way. He's equally lustful about Jody, um, his love interest in the prison, but many of his judgments about Jody are tinged with deep homophobia. And Farragut himself never considers himself gay. He thinks of himself as a straight man who enjoys having sex with men. And so it's a very, it feels like a very honest and very complicated character caught in a situation that he himself does not really understand. It reads very true and very honest. Um, and I did do some research, not to step on um, Andrew's research, as I wow, always Toby. do. Wow. <laughs> to find out that Cheever famously had many lovers of both genders. And so finding this honest and straightforward depiction of bisexuality and all the complications it entails in a book from the 70s was super interesting. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the book. My other main elf is that Farragut 
at the beginning of the book does not seem likely to achieve any kind of growth, any kind of redemption. He seems like a pretty miserable guy who is motivated by sex and drugs and self-interest. And Cheever does not ever hint uh, at the fact that he's interested in providing any kind of happy ending. Um, but without spoiling anything, I will say that I found the book taking a surprisingly emotional and redemptive turn toward the end of it. And I don't know, I, I, I was ready to kind of sit back and let this wash over me as like, OK, it's a literary book and maybe you'll kind of feel vague things here and there. But I didn't expect it to tug at my heartstrings, but it really came around in the end. And because it had disguised itself so well, it was quite effective at the end. So, yeah, I have uh, complicated feelings about this book. Um, I did very much struggle to get through it at points, but there was a lot of redemptive stuff in it. So in the end, I give it three stars. Ooh. Mm, okay. Tres estrellas. Andrew, do you have any remaining facts about <laughs> John Cheever? Yeah, I have a whole book report I wrote about the dude. Oh, good. Sweet. You ready for this? I hope so. So, John William Cheever was born on May 27th, 1912 in Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh, his father, Frederick, was a prominent shoe salesman, um, though his business eventually and like sort of slowly crumbled. His mother, Mary, um, actually went on to start a gift shop, which John described as an abysmal humiliation. Um, oh, boy. Which I don't really understand, but I guess because it was his because his father's business was failing and his mother had to start her own business, he was that was apparently very embarrassing for uh, the New England family. It's this very, all sounds very John Cheever esque. Sounds very Boston. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I just liked the phrase "abysmal humiliation." Which is, <laughs> My, I think that was the uh, the the name of the gift shop. It's just you know hand lettered sign "abysmal humiliation." That's what didn't work. <laughs> Baby shoes sold by mom. Ugh. <laughs> John attended Thayer Academy, which was a, a prestigious private school, but he struggled there a lot, so much so that he switched to public high school, where he did really well and earned an award for his writing. And so he went back to Thayer and then was expelled. <laughs> um, <laughs> turns out he, he probably wasn't expelled. It was more that he probably got an ultimatum and shape up or leave and he was like i'm just out of here um <laughs> but he officially is re recorded as expelled i believe his family's financial woes worsened during this time as did his father's drinking his brother fred was forced to leave dartmouth heard uh, of it uh -oh. um because the, the family could no longer pay for it and uh his parents ended up losing their house and they got separated and fred and john moved in together to an apartment in beacon hill in boston he apparently did not like living with his brother uh, to, to get out of that scenario he applied to yado which is a, a writing workshop in upstate new york in saratoga springs he was initially rejected but let in based on like the strength of just his like i need to get out of here letter um to the person who ran it if you guys aren't familiar back in like the 30s and 40s before they had cover letters everyone just wrote i need to get out of here letters <laughs> exactly and the place would become basically a second home to cheever he cut ties with his brother citing an ungainly attachment which i include because apparently brothers <laughs> are a theme in his work including apparently this one where he murders his brother so oh, yeah. um, he lived the next few years without a fixed address he bopped around from yado to new york to quincy his parents actually reconciled and, and moved into an apartment together and he would spend time there and then he also went to lake george in New York, where he was a caretaker to another Yado property. They apparently owned an island, and he was like, all right, I'll, I'll live there for free and, and take care of the place. In 1935, he sold his short story Buffalo to the New Yorker, which kicked off a long relationship, as Toby 
referenced. Um, weirdly, yeah, actually, I already did that research, so you can skip mm, that. But part. you didn't say this part. Weirdly, the relationship would sort of haunt him in his mid-career before he had really established himself, because the New Yorker was considered middlebrow, and people who appeared <gasps> in it were ignored by prominent critics, which is so different Whoa. than how it is thought of today. Wow. People yeah, were like, wow. oh, you're in the New Yorker? Well, we can't take you seriously as a writer. He worked a bunch of jobs he didn't like and didn't keep them for very long, and though he did get an advance to start writing a novel, he met and married Mary Winternitz, who... I think this is interesting, was granddaughter to Alexander Graham Bell's assistant, Watson, uh, who was the first person oh. ever spoken ah. to on the telephone. The first word was apparently, Watson, I need you, spoken through the telephone, and that was the grandfather of Mary Winter Nitz, a.k.a. John Cheever's wife. Wow. Heard of him? Yeah. Literally. That's, <laughs> that's pretty, like, bold to be like, the first thing I'm going to do is boss around my assistant on this phone. <laughs> well, you should read the play. The Curious Case of the Watson Intelligence, and there's a whole sub-story sub about it by Madeline George. Uh, in 1942, he enlisted in the Army and published his first book of short stories in 1943. This might be sort of overblown in the story I was reading, but his writing may have actually saved his life because a major in the Army Signal Corps, who was also an MGM executive, liked his work so much that he transferred him to service in the Signal Corps in New York City, so away from the front lines, and most of hmm. Cheever's former unit were killed on D-Day in Normandy. Oh. So, potentially, that uh, wow. that move saved his life. That would have been interesting of like a Saving Private Ryan scene of like that was Mikowski. He was from Cleveland. He was a bricklayer. And there's Johnson over from Brooklyn. He uh, he worked as a plumber. And there's Chiva. He's just a short story writer for the New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> just middle brow stuff though, you know, just trash. <laughs> All salt of the earth uh, people. <laughs> Great accent, by the way, Dylan. I think you should keep that in your regular yeah. life. Yeah, it's good. Um, mm -hmm. After the war, he returned to writing, uh, and he had, I think he might be the winner, of the weirdest writing routine we've ever featured on this <gasps> podcast. Wow. For listeners, this is we covered Hugh, Victor Hugo a long time ago. He apparently wrote in the nude. John Cheever turned that to 11. Here we go. He would he wake up. in the skinless. <laughs> you just You can make jokes, but it's not going to be weirder than what actually it is. <laughs> he would wake up. Dress in, quote, his only suit. If he had one fancy suit. Dress in his only suit. Take an elevator down to the basement of his building in New York, where there was an unused maid's chamber. <laughs> Go to that maid's chamber. Strip down to his boxers and write into lunch. What's the point of putting on the suit, John? John. <laughs> That's what's weird. I have an answer for this. Tell me. Because I, I listened to, there's an interview um, with a John Cheeverologist um, at the end of the audiobook I read. And he said that John Cheever lived in a building that was full of like normies, like people who would go out into New York and like do, you know, Wall Street jobs and stuff like that. So everybody in his building was a fancy person who wore a suit to work. And he didn't want to get in the elevator in like grubby clothes. Uh -huh. So he would put on a suit to pretend to his neighbors that he had a normal job, but then he would just go to the basement and then take off the suit. <laughs> But why not just write in his house then? Yeah. I don't know. Just go to a WeWork The John Cheeverall just have no answer for that. <laughs> so that's where, where this art was created. Um, he, uh, mm. or some of his art was created. He slowly built success. He had sort of a, a slow burn career where he was pretty popular pretty early on, but like took a long time to get respected. Well, he's published in that rag, The New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, that awful swill. He earned a Guggenheim Fellowship off the strength of like some subsequent stories, published a second book of stories, and then completed several novels, though he really didn't seem to want to finish his first novel. They like kept threatening to take his advance away. <laughs> he was like, oh, <laughs> fine. 
<laughs> a common theme I'm noticing between all the writers. Uh, yeah. yeah. But he ended up making a good living also um, because his a lot of his work was developed into film, a lot of his short stories. Like The Swimmer is a book is one that I've read, and I think that's one of his more popular ones. That was made into a film with Burt Lancaster. He apparently appears in a cameo of, in that film. And he had three children. He relocated to Italy for a year off the strength of the earnings from his film adaptations. And that's where his third child was born, who's named Federico. Apparently because they wanted to name him Frederick, but the Italian hospital was like, ah, we can't figure out this K. It's not in our language. <laughs> so it's going to be Federico. You mean Frederico? Yeah, <laughs> we are a stereotypical hospital. <laughs> Um, And he relocated during this time, uh, based on his earnings, to Ossining, New York. Ossining, New York. I didn't include this initially in the in the facts, but that is where Sing Sing Prison is. So I'm wondering if maybe he was influenced by seeing Sing Sing there. I mean, Falconer, Falconer. His personal life was incredibly turbulent. He was a very unhealthy alcoholic uh, and frequently was unfaithful in his marriage. Toby covered this, but he was bisexual and had affairs with both men and women, including Hope Lang, Oscar nominated for Peyton Place. I don't know if this is a fun fact, but I thought it was interesting. He blamed his wife for the issues in his marriage and like went to therapy for a long time and was like, okay, I figured it out. It's my wife's problem. And then they did couples therapy and the therapist was like, actually, John, this is all on you, man. And, <laughs> and, and then he... Abruptly stopped therapy. <laughs> Couples therapists uh, are supposed to be very objective too. They're like, he's like, no, I can't let this go, John. <laughs> You're in the John, room. John, this one is this one is, is sort of on you. Um, he, You're taking the L on this one, John. <laughs> yeah. John, where are you going to work again? <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to harp on it, but he had like incredible struggles with his alcoholism, including getting to a point where he was basically just drinking to die. But his brother, who he had cut ties with and who had his own struggles with alcohol and was basically indigent at the time when this happened, came back into his life, got him home and got him into a program where he ended up getting sobriety and staying sober for the rest of his life. Wow. And then he killed him. (laughs) And then he murdered him. No, and then actually after this time, I believe Falconer was written sort of kind of right in the aftermath of this. So that's sort of his mind state when he was writing this book. So literally his brother saved his life (laughs) and like turned his life around and then he wrote a book in which the main character murders his brother. Yes. Cool. He was eventually diagnosed with cancer, which was pretty advanced when they discovered it. He accepted the National uh, Medal for Literature very shortly before his death at Carnegie Hall. It was like the capstone achievement of his life. And he passed away on June 18th, 1982. Wow. Well, you know, nice. I would say that this book was not about what I expected it to be. And uh, John Cheever was more interesting than I expected him to be. So there you, there go. you go. Wait till you get to the next author. Uh-oh. <laughs> so that is Falconer by John Cheever. Three stars. Three stars. Caca Prison. Lock that bird up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Bailey. Yeah? Come closer. Oh, no. Hey, Bailey. I don't like it. So I can <laughs> whisper to you. <laughs> About the book you read. Which book did you read? Oh, I hate it so much. I just get like... I don't know. It makes me feel weird when I hear whispering. Okay. Um, yes, I did read a book. <laughs> I read the book The Whisper Man by Alex North, hence the gross ASMR. The, whis- um, the Whisper Man. No, stop, stop. Oh, whisper. oh, man. I had a week to learn the Whisper song by the Yin Yang Twins, and I forgot to do it. Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear. Tell you something that you don't like to hear. I can't say the rest of the song. <laughs> that is the extent of what is podcast appropriate. All right. So first, <laughs> mm. first of all, I have a question to the group. Has any besides me having it on my list? Had anybody heard of this book? I mean, I've heard whisperings of it. I remember. <laughs> I remember when you bought it because it has a, a very well designed cover. I think I still lived in L.A. at the time, and I was like, "That's a cool cover. It looks like a cool book." Yeah, same. I remember you 
I remember seeing it on your shelf, but I have never heard of it otherwise. Okay, so this is good. So, yes, the cover is a stark white with a black handprint on it that looks like sort of a child's handprint, but the inside has like a creepy butterfly and like a little person silhouette, and the font is very creepy whisper man at the top. So, you know, looking at that, what what genre do you think this book is? Horror. 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 That's also what I thought, and I was wrong. What? It's not. <gasps> what? Okay. So hey, uh, let me tell you something. Researching the facts makes it seem like it's horror. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. The theme of my review is going to be bravo to whoever marketed this book because yeah. it's like, Uh-oh. it's not that it's bad at all. It's just, I went in expecting something that it was not. It's like when you see the trailer for a movie and then it's completely different from the movie. Is that a bravo to the marketing then? Or well, is it like a it got me, wag of the finger? It got me to buy the book and I might not have before, you know, if I had known. <laughs> you just got a 24 <laughs> <laughs> so this, you know, I expected it to be a creepy horror book, also given the premise, which I'll explain in a second. I even, you know, years ago, we did like a vote on which book to read for Halloween thing for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I put this as one of the choices, thinking it was horror book. But it's not a horror book. It is a crime fiction book. Um, oh, okay. So That much, makes sense now. Yeah, much in the same way of Tana French's The Witch Elm. You think it's going to be like oh, yeah. supernatural horror, but really it's like police detective solving a crime. Oh. So. Mm. Right. Oh, it's just normal murder. It's just normal. Uh, boo. Uh, it's just real. It's just real people. If a ghost like. doesn't do it, I don't want to hear about it. That is the tagline for my review, Andrew. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the premise of this book, we are in a small town in England. This town has been plagued by... Ghosts? Nope. A ser- Whispers? <laughs> a serial... It's going to be a serial killer. A oh. serial killer. <laughs> 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 Uh, a serial killer um, named Frank Carter who has been dubbed the Whisper Man. He has been arrested, but he killed several children and his oh. MO was that he would whisper outside their window at night before oh, kidnapping them. God. Um and so the kids would say to each other this rhyme, I will read it to you. If you leave a door half open, soon you'll hear the whispers spoken. If you play outside alone, soon you won't be going home. If your window's left unlatched, you'll hear him tapping at the glass. If you're lonely, sad, and blue, the whisper man will come for you. That sounds creepy. It, it does sound creepy. Yeah, that, that's scary. It does sound creepy. Well, it's a good thing they arrested him. Uh, end of book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess horror can also be, you know, a terrifying serial killer. No. So, Ghosts. Yeah. So, yes, so we start the book. He's in jail. And then we cut to a a motel in Nevada, and many strangers come to the hotel in the middle of a rainstorm. Is that that? Nope. It... I get what you're doing there. No. Uh, I'll probably cut the reference to the like 18-year-old movie, so continue. <laughs> I liked it. No, it's we're in the same town, I want to say 10 years later. A father and son mm. who are grieving the wife, the mother, has died, move into this new house. Turns out to be the house where the um, killer lived and operated. Um, oh. And all of a sudden, the little boy starts hearing whispers at his window. What? That sounds scary. Yeah, that sounds scary. It does yeah. sound scary, doesn't it? It does. Okay. You're on, we're on the same page. So I... <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel like you're the marketing person now? 
well, the the premise is really good and you feel like, okay, when I came into this book, I thought, okay, so the guy they arrested is not really the Whisper Man and what it is is a creepy ghost that's like actually like haunting the house. But like- The guy they arrested shouts all the time. <laughs> I'm innocent. <laughs> but the theme of the book is that anything that seems supernatural can be explained with a real thing. So I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to spoil it, but there was this pattern of me as somebody who likes horror, who likes who likes twists and turns coming in and thinking, "Okay, okay, I know what the twist is going to be. It's going to be this this this." And then just being completely underwhelmed by, "Oh no, it's just this real thing that's very obvious." Um <laughs> and yeah, I I will say that the writing is good. I think if I knew that this was just crime fiction, I would have liked it more, but I wanted it to be scarier. Mm. So this is an example of some of Alex North's writing. Whisper, 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 said the whisper man. There you go. When you hear the whisper man, touch your butt and touch your hand. Uh, So this is um, the little boy. His name is Jake, and he's describing, you know, his mom who's died and how he misses her. Again, he hadn't answered. Apart from in nightmares, he didn't think about what it was like to find mommy that day. It made his breath go funny and not work properly. But one thing he couldn't escape was the knowledge that she wasn't here anymore. It reminded him of a time long ago when he had peered around the kitchen door and seen her chopping a big red pepper in half and pulling out the middle. Hey, gorgeous boy. That's what she'd said when she'd seen him. She always called him that. The feeling inside when he remembered she was dead had that kind of sound the pepper had, like something ripping out with a puck and leaving a hollow. So well written, yeah. fine, good. Yeah. One critique I'll have is it does switch perspectives between several of, there's two detectives that are helping solve. The, there's the father, there's the son. Depending on the chapters, which are very short, Yander, you would like that. Um, we switch perspectives. Only the father, who is a writer of horror stories. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, he, <laughs> don't you mean detective stories? Maybe it's hard to say. They don't get enough get into what his books are about. He's in the first person. Everybody else is in the third person. But the voices are very similar in each case. I wanted it to be different, especially when we're going from the perspective of the six year old. But you know, the premise was good. I was I was getting through it. Um, and then about the middle point is where it just lost me because it started explaining things. The ending became inevitable and it was not what I wanted. I wanted ghosts. I wanted whispers. And instead I mm. got explanations and Screams. happy endings. Um, <laughs> that is actually the, the name of Bailey's gift shop. What hot topic? I wanted ghosts. <laughs> and I saw also, I didn't do too much research, Andrew, don't worry. But there's another book called, I think, The Swallows? Anyway, that one is set in the same world in the same way the Ton of French books are, where it has a detective from this book, but it's a different crime, probably a different serial mm. killer. And I might read that one thinking, like, understanding what it's going to be going in. But this is just a case of I wanted it to be a five-star. It seemed like it would be based on the premise and the cover, but ultimately not what I wanted. Three stars. Mm. Wow. Man, three-star central. Toot. 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 Have you guys ever had that where like, <laughs> like it's not that the book is bad, it's just you really thought it would be something else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My memory is like Swiss cheese, so I couldn't give you an example, but I, <laughs> I know I've had that experience. Andrew, are you there? Yeah. 
Okay, sorry, you're just quiet. He's just been satisfied by every single book he's ever <laughs> I was, read. I, well, I was yeah. like Toby. I couldn't, I couldn't think of an example. What about Dylan? I don't know. I've seen a lot of Scooby-Doo episodes where I thought it was a ghost, or I thought we were actually battling <laughs> Frankenstein, and it turned out it was just like an old shopkeeper. In a mask. And I kept getting yeah. disappointed over and over again. Have I told the story about the bread yeah. muffin on here? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, wow. Andrew, do you have any facts on Alex North? I'm sure he's a fine guy. If he even <laughs> exists. He's a liar. Oh, <laughs> I say that as a joke, but it is sort of true. Let's go for it. All right. I do have some oh, facts about what? Alex North. First of all, Pejos, when you search Alex North on Wikipedia, you find a uh, composer who composed Unchained Melody. Oh. <laughs> it's not the guy who wrote this book. There's oh. nothing on Wikipedia about the guy who wrote this book. Oh. What? Because Alex North is not his name. <gasps> his name is Alex West. <laughs> exactly. No, if you go to alexnorth.com, you can find his website. And this is all it says about him on his about. My first novel as Alex North, The Whisper Man, was a Sunday Times, New York Times, and international bestseller. It has been translated into over 30 languages and is currently being adapted for film. It was followed by The Shadow Friend. My most recent thriller is The Half-Burnt House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before writing as Alex North, I studied philosophy at the University of Leeds, worked there in the Department of Sociology and Social Policy for several years, and published 10 award-winning crime novels under a different name. I currently live in Leeds with my wife and son. Does he say what that name is? No, he doesn't. He doesn't say it anywhere. However, you can find it out by searching online. Okay, weird. Oh, thanks online. It's Stephen King. No, so like literally he goes, I'm sort of torn about this because he goes out of his way to like not make it easy to find who his real identity is. Like it's not on Goodreads. The, his Goodreads profile is not linked to his other writing. But he gives <laughs> enough information about himself that's, that's it feels like a, don't you want to look up who I am? Like, yeah. Right. But again, so like if you search online, you can find out that Alex North was born named Steve Mosby. He has written a bunch of Mm. crime novels, including books called The Murder Code, The Reckoning on Cane Hill, The Nightmare Place, among others, published by Simon & Schuster. He does not have a website for this author. And the only thing about Steve Mosby is Steve Mosby is the author of three previous novels, The Murder Code, The Nightmare Place, and The Reckoning on Cane Hill. Um, And his novels have been (laughs) translated into languages around the world. This guy is sus. What is this guy hiding? So and here's something also that's funny about him. Steve Mosby has a Twitter profile who he, where he just sort of tweets his regular thing. He's a says like vote labor. He um, is a soccer fan, it appears, a football fan. Uh, he's, he's supporting the Spain's women's team struggle against their horrific troll of a head of their FA. But the thing that I find the funniest is Alex North's picture. There's a picture of Alex North on his website. There's a picture of Steve Mosby on his Twitter profile. They're clearly the same person because he has like very bold tattoos on his arms and they're the same. But Alex North has glasses and a beard. <laughs> and on, on X, Steve Mosby does not have a beard. <laughs> Alex North has glasses and those eyes that like go boing boing and a fedora hat. Ah, the old Clark Kent yeah. strategy. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, Steve Mosby works at the Daily Bugle, I think. Don't plan it. Well, John John Jameson wants pictures of, of Alex North <laughs> on the Daily Bugle, but, but Steve Mosby works for the Daily Planet, so they're in different worlds. It feels like... He wanted, okay, this is because I'm in my head. It's like he's already had a name in crime fiction. He's like, I'm going to trick people to think it's horror, so I'm going to change my name. So well, they... Or it could be a thing like, what, what What was the fake name Stephen King wrote under? Richard Bachman. Richard Bachman. Mm-hmm. And like when he just wrote it because it's like, I don't want people to think it's Stephen King. And he just kind of wanted to write some crazier stuff. Yeah, but Alex mm-hmm. North is more successful. I, if I had to guess, I think he was sort of 
the, his older books look like a little more sort of more serialized thrillers versus like more literary thrillers. Maybe that's the one distinction. I don't want to guess at it. And I'm sort of conflicted because again, this guy doesn't seem to want people to know that much about his life. Uh, he did give a very interesting interview under uh, the name Alex North about the Whisper Man. And I have some quotes from it there. Great. Before Andrew gets into it, let this be a lesson to you, Pages. Never fall under the withering gaze of the Two Read List podcast. <laughs> we will root you out wherever you are. Oh, what was that one? Dear Child, where I had to actually like tram- like transcribe a German interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will gonna, hunt you down. On that, I, I just saw a trailer for that. It's going to be a, a TV show on Netflix, I think. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, cool. So here's an interview he gave about the Whisperer. And he seems like a really cool guy. He just uh, has a distinct way he wants to approach it. And I'll honor that as best I can. So uh, the interviewer, whose name is Rebecca Wright, asks... What was the initial idea that became The Whisper Man? And North says, I wanted to write about fathers and sons. Very specifically, I wanted to write about a widowed father struggling to connect with his grieving son. But I knew I wanted it to be a crime novel with spooky elements. And I've long been a fan of the forums and threads you find online where people list creepy things little kids have come out with. Like saying, that's where I used to live when the family is driving past a graveyard. Or talking about the man with a long neck in the closet. And then the parents discover someone hung themselves in the house years earlier. Yeah. 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 When we moved into our new house, there was a day when my son, who was about four at the time, talked about playing with the boy in the floor. That stuck with me, and eventually I decided that Jake in the book would have imaginary friends, and some of them would be quite frightening. The story developed from there. Nice. Yeah. Great premise, right? Hope they don't explain away premise. all those imaginary friends. <laughs> <laughs> I then sat my son down and I said, there's no such thing as ghosts, and I proved it to him. <laughs> uh, describe the writing process. How long did it take you, and what was your writing routine like as you worked on this book? Well, I put on a suit. I took an elevator <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. no. um, North says, the book probably took about a year to write, although I've been thinking about it and planning it a little before then. My routine was and is pretty standard. In terms of time, I take my son to school, then head to the gym for an hour. He does look pretty yoked in his pictures. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, depending on the weather, I sit in a park and read for another hour or so, and then head to a bar or cafe and write until it's time to pick up my son again. In the beginning, I was writing cautiously a few hundred words a day, but it certainly accelerated as I went along. Towards the end, I was writing and rewriting tens of thousands of words a day and not sleeping all that much. But that suits me fine. I was always the kind of kid who did all of the revisions the night before the exam. That sounds like a pretty cool life. Yeah, yeah it does. He's got tattoos. Works in a bar. Yeah. He's yoked. He gets, Who is this guy? He has time to go to the gym and read a book every day. Like, nice. His name's Steve yeah. Mosby. <laughs> <laughs> Alex North has published some other books, including The Shadows and The Half-Burnt House. Um, you may also see titles called The Angel Maker and The Shadow Friend, which I believe are alternate titles for those same books. And hmm. you can check him out there. Nice. And that is our friend Alex North slash Steve Mosby, who refuses to tell us more about himself. So when I said the book was All called right. The Shallows, I meant The Shadows. My bad. All right. So that is The Whisper Man by Shadow, by Shadow North. <laughs> that is The Whisper Man by Alex North. Three stars. <laughs> it's The Whisper Man by Shadow the Dog from Homeward Bound. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey, will you keep it on your shelf? No, I'm probably going to put it in the little free library. But you don't want people to see the cool Got cover? It. it is a cool cover. Andrew, those are very good facts. But do you have any, you know, fun and games for us? Fun and yes. games, danger and lies. Yes, I do. Oh. Yay. 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 So I do have a game for you today. It is called Butternuts. <laughs> Butternuts. Funny word, don't you think? <laughs> I do, actually. Yes. It got me. 
Do you know what it is? Uh, Plural for, of a squash or a town in New York State. Uh, it is, in fact, oh. a town in New York State. There's a town in New York State called Butternuts. So John Cheever um, was nicknamed the Chekhov of the Suburbs. And he lived in uh, in upstate New York for a lot of his life. So what I've done here is created a game where I'm going to read you a list of words, some of which are names of towns in New York State, one of which is uh, made up. So if you go first, you'll get you just have the first chance to go. But you're each going to get three questions. The first one is worth one point. The second one is worth two, and the third one is worth three. I am going to have to uh, Bailey go first. So (laughs) you're going to name the one thing in the category that is not also a town in New York State. Caramel, pecan, almond. Gotta go with almond. Toby, would you like to steal? Pecan? That is correct. Caramel is a town in New York. Pecan is a made up one that sort of sounds like a caramelly treat of a nut. Mm. So that's one point for Toby. Yes. Almond, New York. Almond, New York. There's also a West Almond. Toby, olive. Orange. Onion. I'm going to say onion. That is correct. One point for Toby. Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> Bailey, your turn. Augusta. Machias. Bangor. Cumberland. Hold on. Listener, <laughs> this is confusing because these are also towns or cities in Maine. Yeah. Oh. Um, I guess I'll go with Machias. Toby, would you like to steal? Yeah, I'm going to go with Bangor. Bailey, would you like to steal? Oh, no. Augusta. Toby, congratulations. The two points are yours. The answer is Cumberland. (laughs) No way. Cumberland. (laughs) Bailey, there are still eight points on the board. So being down for nothing is not the end of the world, but it would behoove you to get on the board shortly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The gentlest sports commentator. They're not on the board yet, but it would behoove them to get on the board soon. All right, Toby, are you ready for your two-pointer? Absolutely. Venice, Verona, Versailles, Vienna. Verona. Bailey, would you like to steal? Dang it. Um, Venice. Toby, don't you remember that's where they lay our scene? <laughs> um, Shut up, Dylan. I'm going to go with Venice. Mm, Toby, would you like to steal? Uh, Versailles. Toby, you have two more points. Congratulations. All right, Bailey, are you ready for your three-point option? I guess. Alexandria, Cairo, Athens, Troy, Carthage, Babylon. Okay. Um, I've been to one or two of these New York places but I'm going to guess Carthage. That is correct. Yeah! Oh. Um, so, Bailey, you have three points. Toby has six. It all comes down to this final game. Okay. Here we go. Brutus, Camillus, Cincinnatus, Oedipus, Ulysses, Aurelius. I'm going to say Camillus, Andrew. Bailey, would you like to steal? Ooh! No! Um, Aurelius. Toby, would you like to steal? <gasps> Uh, Cincinnatus. Bailey, would you like to steal? No. Brutus? Toby, would you like to steal? Ah! Oedipus. Bailey? You you've lost it? the game, Toby. Congratulations. Ah! Oedipus is yeah. not a town in New York. <laughs> I was like, I know you, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, hey, my mom's Congratulations, Toby. It, there was some drama there. Andrew, can you remind us of the final score? The final <laughs> score was nine to three, though I will say Ooh. I like this point structure because it keeps the game interesting till the very end with being able to. Yeah, it's you, a good one. You don't get, uh, you don't get dunked too early. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, Toby. You're welcome in New York anytime. 
Oh, thank you. I have several comments. Number one, good job, Toby. Number two, good game, Andrew. Number three, New York, what's (laughs) up with all these names? And number four, I just need to highlight that Dylan said, oh, my mom's from Oedipus. (laughs) 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 All right, Dylan, with your jokes, now it's time for you to come out (laughs) of your cave. Um, and it's time for you to choose books at random from our shelf to read next. It's time for The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. The Choosening. I just want to jump in here real quick that I was present in Dylan and Bailey's wedding, and uh, Bailey's vows began with, all right, Dylan, with your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bailey, mm-hmm. are you excited for your vacation? Yeah. Are your journey? Oh, God. For spiritual reawakening? Mm. Number 90, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Okay. I never knew that it was Herman Hesse. Oh, wait, actually, sorry. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) This is one that I got from a little free library sale because it seems like everybody else read it their freshman year of high school, and I did not. But it has since been destroyed by Maggie when she was a tot, like, really little, would just pick it up constantly off the shelf. Always this book, too. This was her favorite chew toy. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see if it still has a cover. I mean. Okay. It's a good book. I, I really enjoy this one. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, I was one of the people who read it in early high school, and so I didn't really appreciate it then. I might like it more now. Yeah. It was probably a little too early for Hesse, as it were. Gotcha. I read it in college. I was just stoned enough to really get into it. <laughs> and Toby, I obviously don't have to tell you your pick. It feels like it's always been predestined, that it's always been a number six, a driving force. By Dick Francis. Yes. yes. I'm so amped. Um, so uh, if you don't know Dick Francis, Dick Francis is a really interesting author who wrote an extremely long series of mysteries based around the world of horse racing. <laughs> Um, and they were a fixture in my house when I was a kid. My parents read a lot of them. They all had like really intriguing covers for a kid, just like horses and jockeys. And yeah, I it, this is one of these things that ever since I was a kid, I was like, what are those books like? And then I think at one point I picked up an old copy of this book from some used bookstore, but then I moved so many times I've lost it. But I'm excited to read it. We'll finally see what Dick Francis is all about. I think this is supposed to be a good one, so... We'll see. That's fine. Yeah. That's that's what the Rabbit series by John Updike is for me, but very different. <laughs> Horse murders? Maybe a slightly more literary <laughs> form. All right. So that means in two weeks on the podcast, I will be covering Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And Andrew is reading I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay, your friend and mine. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. If you have the urge to lean close to your phone, so, so close, and then whisper to it (laughs) that you love this podcast and you want to rate it five stars, do that by doing it into a podcatcher of your choice, hopefully Apple iTunes, the best place to whisper. Um, It really raises uh, the awareness of the podcast. And um, if you really want to whisper some more, whisper a review to the speech-to-text feature on your phone. But make sure you do it loud enough so that it writes it down for us. Thank you. And if you want to help us out in a different way, uh, if you have a slew of imaginary friends, tell them to download and listen to this podcast. Um, Or if you have real friends, in fact, tell them because word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners is uh, a great way to bring new people into our community. 
especially whispering men. I just had an image of word of mouth being us whispering in people's windows. Thank you to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.